lesson this morning comes from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, um, some selections from the first 18 verses. I invite us all to hear once again the words of the early church. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The sheep will not follow a stranger, but they will run because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with the gathered crowd, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus said again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. These are the words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I really don't like the book of Acts. It is not my favorite book in scripture, and it's not one that I have preached on frequently. In fact, this will... This will be the second time ever that I have preached on the book of Acts that wasn't the Pentecost story that we preach on every year. I read this scripture. Courtney can testify to this, as can Landry. I read this scripture and knew that it was going to be the lectionary for today. And I was like, well, and I let it just kind of sit back there in the back of my head because I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. But I did complain to everyone on staff about having to preach on this passage of scripture from Acts. But the amazing thing about the lectionary is that God moves in ways that we don't control because never in my life would I have chosen Acts 14, but the Spirit began speaking to me about it as it sat back there in the back of my brain and I harumphed about having to think about it. Today in Acts, we find Paul and Barnabas, and just the chapter before, we hear God's call to Paul and Barnabas to leave where they are and to go out into parts of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey now, 
in order to spread the news of the gospel. And today's text that Courtney shared for us, we see Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra. And this is the first time in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas or go anywhere where there is not a synagogue already there, meaning that they're coming into a place that does not have Jewish people, as Paul and Barnabas were both Jews. They're coming into a community that does not have a deep and abiding knowledge of the God of Israel, the God of our ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So when they begin to preach and to tell the good news, these people of Lyconia, they are interpreting what's being said and done through their own cultural lens. They see these people as gods. They identify them with the Greek gods, that Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes, and it's time to give sacrifice to these gods present among us. Because... They're a different cultural context than the one Paul and Barnabas are used to. So this freaks Paul and Barnabas out, and they begin tearing their clothes and pulling at their beards. The Old Testament would tell us that they put on sackcloth and ashes in order to demonstrate how grieved they would be that they would be mistaken for the Almighty God. So they go and they speak to the crowds again, saying, like, we're, we're just human just like you, but we are telling you a story and a witness about the God of all creation that made heaven and earth and all that we know, a God that is beyond us, but has called us to you. And friends, this is where our second scripture comes into play. Paul and Barnabas are in a very real sense pointing to the voice of the shepherd both in their life and in the life of the gathered community there in Lystra. Um, the Gospel of John is my favorite gospel. So I was very excited I could pair Acts with the Gospel of John today. Um, and if you don't know much about the fourth gospel, it is very different than the other three. The other three move kind of in chronological order. Things happen fairly quickly. In the Gospel of John, something happens. Jesus does something miraculous, healing a man born blind or turning water into wine. Then the next chapter, a lot of people don't like it. Mainly the religious authorities don't like what Jesus has done. And then the next three chapters are Jesus giving long and verbose speeches about why what he did was right. And in chapter 10, we find Jesus in the midst of another long and verbose speech, commonly called the Good Shepherd Discourse. Now, mentions, shepherds are mentioned throughout our Hebrew scriptures. Um, sometimes it referred to God, but mainly in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament refer to shepherds. They're referring to human leaders, to princes and to kings. And both the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah speak at length about bad shepherds, those who do more harm than good for the people God has placed in their care. Now, Jesus speaks here saying, I am the good shepherd. 
And I want us to understand that it's not really a moral designation. Jesus is not saying, I am better than all the other shepherds you've seen. I am the best one. Look at me. It really is It's a much broader sense of that word, that Jesus is the model shepherd. Jesus is the platonic ideal of shepherd, if you will. The goal that all shepherds should be moving towards. Now, I don't know how many of you know anything about sheep, because, you know, we live in a fairly urban area. (laughs) But coming from rural Texas, I know a tiny bit. And we often talk about sheep as if they're stupid, It's not that sheep are stupid, they are just fundamentally different than cows. Cows, as you may have seen on television shows or if you've ever worked on a farm, cows have to be driven somewhere. Like you have horses and cowboys and ropes and sometimes cow dogs that run and bark and move them in the correct direction. Sheep cannot be driven anywhere. They have to be led. Uh, If you stand behind a sheep and try to squish it forward, it will just go right around you to stand right behind you. Sheep are led by their shepherd. They recognize, very literally, they recognize the voice of their shepherd. I have seen when herds have gotten mixed together, two shepherds stand in front of the herds and call sheep by name. Hey, Kevin, come here. Hey, whoever. And the sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd and will separate themselves accordingly. That is not the action of a stupid animal. That's the action of an animal that must trust and be led by a voice that it places its ultimate trust with. Now we know that this sense of voice is important to Jesus, that Jesus speaks to the sheep and that the sheep know Jesus and Jesus knows his sheep. Because in this little passage that we read, Jesus mentions knowing seven separate times. We know that it is important. That's what he's trying to get across to the people. And we also recognize that this is the Jesus that we witness to in our scriptures, the Jesus who knew his people before they even really knew himself themselves and before they really knew Jesus Jesus who could speak and say Nathaniel there under that tree you're supposed to come with me James and John leave your nets We're, we're going this way and not just that Jesus knew Nicodemus knew the Syrophoenician woman knew the woman at the well in the gospel of John knew that she had multiple husbands without her saying a word. But the people also knew Jesus. Very quickly, people began to gather around Jesus. The people that recognized the love and power that Jesus was expressing in the world. And also the people, like the religious authorities, who recognized Jesus and didn't really like what they saw. So Jesus is, in a very real sense, as he says himself, the good shepherd. He knew his people, and he was known by his people. And I think we can all recognize, as Courtney shared with our children, there is a deep power in being known by name, in being identified and greeted. 
by our friends and our loved ones, and most especially by God, a power that we are not unknown, a comfort in knowing that we have value. When someone knows your name, you know that you have value to them. We are also a people, friends, who are more comfortable being led than being pushed, just like sheep, I would think. Even though sometimes we we need a little push, we need someone coming behind us pushing a little bit. We are, there is comfort for us in seeing an example and being led by that example. But we also know that Jesus doesn't stop at making us comfortable by knowing our names or providing an example for us. It is more than just that that Jesus is saying in this Good Shepherd discourse. It's more than that, which we see evidenced in our text from Acts. We, like Paul and Barnabas, are being led, called by name, into the work of the kingdom. And that should terrify us each a little bit. Because like Paul and Barnabas, we will be called into strange and weird places with strange and weird people because we are strange and weird people of God. The people of Lystra were hearing the voice of God, the voice of the Good Shepherd, when Paul and Barnabas were speaking. So Paul and Barnabas kept pointing to that thing that was beyond them, pointing to the one who had called them by name and called them out. Friends, Jesus is quite literally standing at the gate of the sheepfold, calling us to come out and work for the kingdom. But most of the time, we are quite comfortable exactly where we are. We know what Jesus wants us to do. We come here and we talk about it every week. We talk about Jesus' call, Jesus' preferential option for the poor. Jesus calling us to feed the hungry, to shelter those without homes, to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger in our midst. And sometimes we hear that and we think to ourselves, there are lots of churches. And there are lots of people in all of those churches, lots of people that are around that can do those things. God isn't talking to me. But our texts today tell us that we can't melt into the background. You know we've all done it. In a classroom or somewhere where someone's asking for volunteers and everyone just kind of takes a step back and puts their head down to look at the ground. How many times have we done that when someone asks to close in prayer? We can't do that with God. That's what our text tells us. That's what the power and the fear in it is, is that God knows each and every one of us by name. God sees our faces, whether we're trying to hide or pretend that we don't hear God's call. God is not calling each of us to the exact same thing in the exact same way. But God is speaking to each and every one of you, to all of us. There is a seed inside of us, maybe a little itch or a little tingle, and we feel it and we're like, oh God, 
you're not taking me there. Is that, that where you're leading me? Those, those little seeds, those impulses to follow where God is calling us out to be. And our story from the book of Acts, the passage David preached on last week, in fact, it's fair to say the entirety of the book of Acts tells us again and again and again that the community God envisions is culturally, ethnically, and linguistically more diverse than we can wrap our heads around. God's community is going to push our boundaries and call us into uncomfortable places, into strange places that are not our cultural context. The power of the gospel is that we can trust that even when it's scary, our shepherd will not abandon us. When we are following God's voice into the world, we may go through high peaks and low valleys, but we will never, ever go alone. We may be called to people and to places that don't know the story of our God, weird and strange locales, but we will never, ever do it on our own. Everything that we do in thought, in word, and deed points back to God, should point back to the voice of that good shepherd that has called us off of complacency and called us off of our center and called us into action. That's the reason that the quote from Shane Claiborne that I shared earlier, our words of preparation, stuck with me all week. Because in a very real sense, friends, we are called to put flesh on Christ in the world. We may be the only vision of God that some people ever see, you and me. That is a heavy burden and a great gift. None of us alone can be God in the world. That's blasphemy. But together, we can be the presence of Christ. That's the promise of the church. So friends, this week, I ask us to sit deeply with the question of how are we avoiding the voice of the shepherd in our life? What is God calling us? What kind of service and ministry is God calling each of us individually to that we're pretending right now that we're not hearing? And how do we together continue to follow that voice of God to live into a beloved community that spans all of our divisions and shows the love of God in the life of the world. May those words move us this week as we wrestle with God's call in our lives. Amen.